You are listening to 100 Wealth Building Secrets with James Marshall. James Marshall is a registered investment advisor and president of Marshall Wealth Management. His registered investment advisory firm is registered in Texas and Kentucky. For 30 years, he has been educating, advising, and managing wealth for diverse families all over the country. This podcast is about different concepts of wealth building, some financial, some emotional, physical, and yes, some spiritual. The bottom line is you will leave with some knowledge, and knowledge is wealth. So whether you're walking, running, exercising, or having your choice of beverages, no judgments here, clear. Then open your mind and get ready for some life-changing financial lessons. It's your time. Here is your host, James Marshall. Welcome, Wealth Builders, to podcast number 65. Own rental property and invest 50% of the monthly net revenue into tax-deferred products like an index universal life insurance policy. You know, there are many different types of investments or asset classes. One of them is real estate. Besides being a good hedge against inflation, real estate can be a very good source of additional income. Just remember that a good investment portfolio maintains the proper percentages in any one investment class. And that is true with real estate as well. Real estate is not a easily liquidated asset, and this could put you in a financial bind if you needed to cash out of your whole quickly and borrowing against the asset may not be an option for you to take at that time. That being said, owning investment in real estate or rental properties is a very prudent approach to building wealth. It gives you a good opportunity to use leverage or debt to control large holdings with very little out-of-pocket money. An example would be buying a $250,000 single-family rental property with $50,000 down and bank financing of the balance. The rental property should be enough to not only cover the bank mortgage and the property maintenance, but also provide you with some net income or free cash flow. This is where things get really interesting. For the sake of education and clearly explaining my point, I'm going to make some assumptions here. We will assume that your mortgage payment is approximately $1,200 per month and your average expenses, including taxes and insurance on the property, is approximately $750 per month. If your rental income for this property is $2,500 per month, you would have approximately $550 per month in net income or free cash flow. Now, you can either spend that $550 per month or you can leverage multi-generational wealth by purchasing an index universal life insurance policy with that $550. More assumptions here. Let's say that based on your current age and uh, pretty good health, you were able to get a $250,000 life insurance policy that is estimated to pay you approximately $20,000 in tax-free income per year for 20 years, starting at age 65. Now, I'm assuming that you're 45 now. This income is based on an average annual return of 6% on the cash value in the index universal life policy. Now, that's not guaranteed, and that is an average. 
The tax-free $250,000 death benefit is payable on day one and will allow your heirs to make better decisions regarding the rental property they inherit. That is where the generational wealth benefit comes in. If they don't have to sell the property to take care of estate taxes and other expenses, but they have access to tax-free life insurance benefits, it allows your estate to stay intact. Basically, this strategy allows your rental property and the income of your rental property to buy you a private pension while accumulating tax-deferred cash in your own private bank. And this money will be available if you need it later down the road. Just remember, these types of strategies need time and commitment to work. Based on the $500 per month plan we discussed, you would need to commit to 10 to 15 years for the private bank and about 15 to 20 years for the tax-free income or private pension to actually work. Uh, Things to remember regarding using Index Universal Life Insurance for cash accumulation, you're investing in bonds that track the indexes of the stock market. Now, performance percentages fluctuate and are not guaranteed, and you can get a 0% return at worst during negative stock market years. So you're protected against downside risk, but you have the opportunity for higher returns. Now, that's the insurance side of it. But I have invited one of the most successful rental property investors I know to join us on this podcast today and talk a little bit about how to get started investing in rental real estate and how to improve your property's positive cash flow as you go. Please welcome Mr. Todd Scott, President and CEO of Great Scott Enterprises, one of the most successful real estate investors that I know of. How you doing today, Todd? Man, I'm fantastic, James. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. This is your second time on the show. So, you know, you're someone that everybody wants to hear from all the time. They say, when is that Todd Scott guy going to come back on the show? Well, I'm glad you're bringing me back. <laughs> All right. Listen, uh, I've been talking about the whole idea of if you're going to invest in real estate, then it's a good chance that you might have some positive cash flow and utilizing that positive cash flow to invest into tax deferred index universal life insurance that can give you tax-free income or tax-free wealth transfer might be a good idea. And I've spent time talking about the insurance side of it, but I want to bring on the expert to talk about the real estate side. So let's first start with how do you determine what properties to buy? Oh, I have different metrics that I use. Usually on single family, I use what's known as a rent to price ratio. On multifamily, I'll usually use cap rate. But at the at the core, I usually try to buy 50% of its after repair value. Meaning if I, if I see a house, let's just say if, if it's worth 200,000, I want to be in it at 100,000 all in. Uh, typically what I, what I try to use is if you're able to rent a property for 1% of its value, then you're doing good, i.e., if you have a property that's a hundred thousand and you're getting a thousand a hundred thousand in value, but you're getting a thousand dollars a month, that's a good deal. Okay. But well, what are some of the uh, warning signs that keep you from actually buying a property? You, you found a property and everything's looking good, but you said, "Oh, wait a minute, this is ch- checking off some of my spidey senses." What are some of those things? Bad location is always number one. The, the price is too high is number two. Um, house in bad condition. Not able to get the financing that I want that's favorable for me. Uh, th- there's a number. There's a number of metrics that I u- use, but ultimately, it really comes down to the numbers aren't right. 
Okay. I always buy based on the numbers, not based on my feeling per se, because the numbers don't lie. Now, when you say numbers, you're speaking of terms of are you getting it at at value or how far below value? Is that right? Usually, it's going to be what I, what I call an ARV. What's the ARV for the bank? What's the loan to value? And just my metrics that I use personally. If it does not, if it doesn't fit those parameters, I walk because I believe there's always another deal, and I, I miss good deals all the time. But I'm only looking for great deals. Okay, so and, and that comes with being disciplined. You have to be 100% disciplined in real estate. Real estate has probably produced more millionaires and billionaires than any other investment in history. However, I don't know anyone who's done this well, uh, from the Rockefellers to myself, who doesn't employ a certain level of of discipline, diligence, research. Those things don't change. Well, speaking of that, do you have a uh, a limit of how much you're going to put into renovating a property uh, as it relates to the percentage of the value of the property? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can, I'll give you something simple. Like if we're using a single family, single family home, let's say we're talking about a, a three bedroom, two bath. If I know the re- the max rent on that property is 1500, then I can't be in that property for more than 150,000. Mm-hmm. If I know 150, 1500 basically is going to represent 150 to me. So if I had to buy that property for 75, I know that I only have 75,000 more to put into it. If I bought it for 100,000, I only have uh, 50,000 to put in. If I bought it in the 125, I only have 25 to put in. I'm not going to go past that threshold because then it'll throw off my whole metrics of how I'm able to stay in the property and have and have positive cash flow and immediately have 100% equity in the property if I don't do that. And, and speaking of that, because a lot of your matrix and a lot of your concept and what you're going to buy and not buy seems to be related to rent, how much rent you can No pay. doubt. Now, how do you we're fa- talking? Well, I specialize in Section 8, and there's what's known as a payment standard that's put out nationally that you can look at what what is the payment standard for Houston, but it's also just for fair market properties. So I understand what the fair market rents are in any county, in any state uh, before I buy. You make your money in real estate before you buy. All Mm. of the research and all of this stuff is done before. So I know, just like in Galveston, where I specialize, I know a three-bedroom rents for $1,900. Then nineteen hundred dollars translates into a value of about one ninety. So if my max is nineteen hundred dollars, I can't go buy a property for two twenty five because I'm not going to be able to rent it for two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars to make that work. Mm-hmm. The numbers just the numbers just tell you everything beforehand. So it's about just understanding the numbers. What are the rents in that area? Are you dealing with fair market? Are you dealing with Section Eight rent? Are you dealing with the VASH program? There are a number. There are a number. Of government-funded programs you could tap into. If I was in Houston, is am I looking at doing student housing at, at U of H, TSU, or Rice? There's just a there's a number of variables you can look at, but I always let the numbers lead me where I need to go. Now, do you keep an ongoing um, roster of potential uh, tenants uh, awaiting this, if you will? I do. I do. I, I, I for. For the last 15 years, I keep a waiting list of clients. I'm always prospecting new clients because if you're going to be in a rental game, you've got to always have a bevy of renters uh, ready to go so that you can you can keep your cash flow. I don't believe in having properties that sit stagnant. I usually try to keep no more than 5% vacancy, but most times I'm operating at 100% occupancy. That's excellent. That's unusual. Yes. Right? I mean, that's what's the yeah, average? What they use as a metrics is usually 10%, but I, I have a, uh, 
I kind of have a motto that I got from my, my old football coach, Tony Dungy. He said, uh, success is uncommon, not to be enjoyed by common men. I'm looking for uncommon people. So I'm not trying to do what status quo or what's average. That's why I named my company. My name of my company is not good Scott Enterprises. It's great Scott Enterprises for a reason. So it's just a matter of not trying, but being excellent in what you do. On a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Now, have you met a young Todd Scott who was just getting into this real estate game? Uh-huh. What advice would you give him that, that allows him to avoid some of the mistakes you've made in the past? Well, I do. I actually know three young Todd Scotts. They're my children, Colin Scott, Kane <laughs> Scott, and, and Kana, who've all followed me into the business in one way or another. The first thing I would tell them is do not do single-family homes. Do multifamily. If you have 10 single family homes, you have 10 separate loans. If either one of those houses are empty, you have a problem. If you have a 10, a 10 unit apartment complex and one complex, but you only have one loan and one unit or two unit is empty, if you bought it right, it does not affect your bottom line or your cash flow at all. So the number one thing I tell people is first, get started. Like I said, real estate throughout the history of time has produced more millionaires and billionaires than any other industry and specializing in multifamily, I think is really the way to go to hedge a lot of your bets and to create as much leverage as possible. Are there any books or classes that you feel a person starting out might want to read? Or All of the classics, um, Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, What Would the Rockefellers Do, uh, Traction, Good to Great. There's a ton of really great books and resources out here. There are a lot of, I get a lot of information from a lot of different uh, people who are on TikTok. Robert Kiyosaki, of course, Julian Gordon, Devin Burr. There are a bevy of people you can find that are highly successful in a multitude of uh, techniques that they use. Lance Edwards is a guy that I really respect. He's, he has a book called uh, How to Make Big Money in Small Apartments. Uh, but there, there are a lot of people who have really good techniques and great success stories. And great strategies everyday people can utilize. One final question, Todd. From the financial side of this, you know, people read all the time and hear that you need nothing to get started, no money down, these type of things. Uh And and I'm sure that's possible, but that's not the norm. So what would you say is an amount of money that a person needed to have set aside in cash reserves before they jumped into this field? I don't know that there's necessarily an amount that they need to have set aside um, because you can utilize different programs like the 203K program, uh, FHA program. You can work with hard money, soft money, private lenders. But I would say just depending on the deal, you want to at least have at a minimum the 20% required to put down on a property that you're, you're getting started. So if that's a $100,000 property, you got to have at least 20000 that's 200 K, you got to have at least 40 and so on and so forth. Piggybacking on that, if you need that 20000 to buy that property, if all you have is 20000 in your savings account, then you might not want to go that route because you wiped yourself out. You don't have any contingency money. No, I, I, I would definitely advise that. But there's two ways of looking at it. You also have to look at it. If you've got that money sitting in a savings account, you're making 0.1% and inflation is what, 11%? So uh, it's really, really high. But mm-hmm. you, I always, I always tell people, hedge your bets. But you, real estate is not for the faint of heart. A lot of people like to watch HDTV and you know the whole, the shows on flip this house and all of that. That that's just easy. It is not. Uh, it takes a, it takes a certain level of skill, certain level of 
personal discipline, education, know-how. One of the main things that I would add, I would say is get a coach. Um, there are a lot of people who have coaching programs out here that can help you let their uh, hindsight be your foresight. You don't. There's no need to make the mistakes that Todd Scott has already made. I've got 25 years of experience. Let my hindsight be your foresight. I like that. Let your hindsight be the foresight. Well, thank you so much, Todd. You have dropped all kinds of pearls of knowledge on us today. We look forward to you coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Todd Scott, for breaking it down and making it plain. I think we just had a master's class on how to buy investment real estate. You know, as Todd said, the key thing with any type of investment is discipline and conviction. So plan your work and work your plan. And until next time, keep building wealth. Peace. You have been listening to 100 Wealth Building Secrets with James Marshall. Keep increasing your knowledge by going to marshallyourmoney.com and check out our educational videos, newsletters, and calculators. There you can also sign up for your free copy of his book, 100 Wealth Building Secrets. Like this podcast and follow it on podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media platforms, Facebook, Black Family Wealth, Twitter, James Marshall at Marshall Wealth, Instagram, Marshall Wealth, LinkedIn, James Marshall, and on YouTube, James Marshall Financial Educator. Email your questions or thoughts to james at marshallyourmoney.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, we build wealth one family at a time. I know you can. I teach you how to save. Don't waste your money, but bank your money. Don't spend your end. I teach you how to save. Your bank account will be filling out with them dividends. I teach you how to save. Rule number one: if it ain't making money, it ain't making sense.